right, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Verse podcast brought to you by Comics Verse. This time around, we're doing origin stories, and this uh, episode is focusing on Hush. But before we dive in, let's uh, introduce you to our esteemed panel of Comics Verse uh, podcast co hosts. I'm Travis Zapp. I'm the uh, editor in chief here at Comics Verse, uh, helping out on podcast articles, all kinds of different things. Um, I'm a big Batman fan. Can't wait to dive into some of my favorite Batman characters. We got here to my right, we got Sean Bartley. Go ahead, Sean. Hello, I'm Sean Bartley. I'm a writer and podcaster for Comics First, and I'm really excited to be a part of this and um, talking about Hush. All right, excellent. Fabio, go ahead. Hey, I'm Fabio. I'm also a writer and contributor for Comics First, and yeah, I'm super excited. Big fan of Batman, too. Hi, guys. I'm Malia. I'm an artist, and I'm also a contributor for Comics First, and so yeah, you'll hear my squeaky voice every now and then. Brian Del Pozo. I'm a staff writer and social media guy for Comics First, and I, too, am a fan of Batman. Shocking, I know. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. And joining us actually on Skype from overseas, we've also got the awesome Glenn. Glenn, say hi to everyone. Hello. All the, all the way from Northern Ireland. <laughs> oh, Ireland. Sorry, I had that wrong. My mistake. Oh, don't be silly. It's fine. It's the same place, sort of. <laughs> Not entirely the same. Either way. <laughs> Not entirely the same, though. That's half the battle, I suppose. <laughs> well, before we uh, dive into Hush, I want to also remind everyone who's listening that you can find us on the web at comicsverse.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash comicsverse, on Twitter or Tumblr, uh, no, sorry, that's Twitter or Instagram at at comicsverse, on Tumblr at comicsverse.tumblr.com, and YouTube is youtube.com slash comicsverse TV. We also have our podcast up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, uh, iHeartRadio, we've got a Roku TV channel, so you can find us pretty much anywhere on the internet that you might possibly find yourself looking. But anyway, let's uh, let's get diving into some hush, guys. What do you say? Yes, please. Oh. All right. So um, before let's we uh, unwrap the bandages. Uh, oh, nice. There we go. Deep, <laughs> Brian. Um, can we uh, let's give the uh, listeners a little bit of a summary of the two books that we read? We read Hush and we read Heart of Hush. So um, Sean, you had said you would uh, give us a summary of Hush. Sure. So Hush is by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee. They teamed up to do, I believe it was an 11 issue run. Uh, 12, 12. So essentially it starts off with Batman uh, rescuing a child who was kidnapped by Killer Croc. Uh, and Killer Croc is trying to get all this money for reasons that are unknown at the time. And this is kind of the, the start of a really long sort of conspiracy that's all built around ending Batman. It involves Catwoman sort of becoming close to Batman and kind of this sort of... We always knew that Batman and Catwoman had a thing, potentially. This is where they kind of, will we or won't we? So we get that. Uh, it has a ton of villains. What is it, like 20-some-odd different villains that appear? Uh, it's a ton. Ooh, yeah, I don't know the a, exact number, but there are a lot they're of all there. members of the <laughs> like Batman Rose Gallery. Most, most of them are, are available, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, unless your favorite villain is really obscure... Uh, he's probably there. He there was no Condiment King appearance. <laughs> no, uh, calendar, uh, calendar Man. Calendar Man. Calendar Man life. <laughs> and it's all a conspiracy built by Hush, or so we believe. As we get through the book, we see Tommy Elliot, an old friend of uh, Batman's, or rather Bruce Wayne's from childhood. And the book kind of unravels their relationship, their friendship, and we get to see Tommy's motivations as Hush uh, and why he's doing this. And it leads us down a wild goose chase, as Jeff Loeb is known to do in these sorts of books, uh, very much in the spirit of Long Halloween and Dark Victory. And ultimately, in the end, he's defeated by Batman, as you might expect. And uh, we learned that the Riddler was really behind it all. So, that's, yeah, 
that's pretty much the story there. All right. Excellent. And um, so that's our first book that we're going to be uh, talking about in this podcast. But Glenn's going to be giving you the uh, synopsis of our second one, which fleshed out Hush a little bit more. We got to dive underneath the bandages a little bit and dig into what makes Hush who he is. So, uh, Glenn, could you tell us a little bit about Heart of Hush? Yeah, absolutely. It it was a storyline that ran through uh, Detective Comics when Paul Dini was writing it. Uh, Paul Dini, of course, is rather famously one of the main writers of Batman the Animated Series. And he was teaming with artist uh, Dustin Nguyen at the time, who's now doing uh, Image Book Descender. And he delivered beautiful art, I think. And he basically brought back this character who had a huge setup in Hush, but hadn't they hadn't really done much with him after that. And so he gave a lot of background to the character like he'd done before with uh, Clayface and Mr. Freeze in the um, aforementioned animated show and gave him some like mind control abilities and also fleshed out his reason for hating Bruce so much, which wasn't quite solidified in a hush to the degree why he uh, hated the Wayne family so much. But this was all motivation that Paul Dini gave him rather beautifully in um, Heart of Hush and ended with uh, Hush stealing Catwoman's heart just to mess with Batman uh, using Mr. Freeze, who I think is the only major villain who doesn't appear in Hush. Uh, So it was really the only villain he hadn't pissed off uh, to keep Catwoman alive while he did this surgery and could hold this over Batman's head while he kind of came at him like no other villain had come at him before. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. And uh, I think we uh, got to see a little bit of some Scarecrow in Heart of Hush also, who was uh, strangely absent from the pages of the first Hush storyline. But yeah, just, so just, toward, uh, just towards the end. Oh, that's true. Yeah, not not a whole lot of Scarecrow. Uh, a, no. a sort of a sort of similar appearance to the Riddler at the tail end of Hush. But uh, yeah. actually, speaking of which, let's uh, let's not dive too far into that yet and let's talk about our first segment here which is really diving into the character of hush himself mm-hmm. so before we get into some of our key questions i just wanted us to go around and uh describe the character of hush who is hush to you in just like one sentence or so we'll, we'll go uh, count, uh clockwise here so brian go ahead all the pressure going first um <laughs> Well, I guess I have an interesting view on it, and I hate that I'm going first. And to make it in quickly one sentence, I find Hush much more interesting as a mysterious character in the initial run than I do when we're exposed to more of him in Heart of Hush. Yeah. Interesting. Because I, I re- just love the idea that here is the one person who seemingly, as he's presented in the first you know, 10 or so issues of Hush before we get to the climax, really has Batman's number on everything. And every time you think, oh, here's where Batman's finally going to outsmart the villain, as always, Hush just one-ups him again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He he sort of, uh, well, I, I don't want to reveal too much, but he lives up to something that he says early on in one of the uh, the first flashbacks. Um, Glenn, how about you? In one or two sentences, who is Hush to you? To me, Hush is kind of like the dark side of Bruce Wayne. You know, obviously Bruce is heavily motivated by the death of his parents, whereas Hush, on the flip side of that, is heavily uh, motivated by the survival of his mother uh, before they retconned that in the New 52. Uh, plus he has all this power and influence and is one of the few villains, probably apart from, probably the most major villain apart from Ra's al Ghul, who actually knows who Batman is, which is something actually very rare in Batman mythology, so is more of a personal villain to Batman to me. Absolutely. Uh, definitely agreed. We're going to be diving into that whole uh, Hush-Bruce Wayne sort of parallel uh, a bit more as we get deeper into the podcast. Malia, how about you? 
I kind of agree, like, what you were saying, Brian. I honestly feel like he doesn't really have any sort of motivation. He feels like a very lost character to me. Like, he doesn't really have, like, a, a, a strong enough drive to really, like, make him do what it is that he's doing. Of course, this is debatable. But this is just from my reading to it, because it's just, like, he hates Batman. Or I don't know if I'm really getting into too much. But, like, <laughs> but without spoiling it, he just has, like, this very, like, strong passion towards Batman. And I just don't feel like he has enough, like, of a reason to, like, drive him towards all his goals and his determination to just bring him down. Sure, absolutely. So uh, a lot of hatred there, a lot of emotions, but maybe a little bit uh, unexplained or unfounded. Yeah, you could just get lost in translation. It's like I never really see like what really like brought him to be like, hey, I'm going to take you down with whatever I have. And like it just really doesn't make too much sense to me gotcha. personally. Gotcha. Fabio, how about you? Uh, well, I really do like Hush, although I feel like he's a bit of a hypocrite in the sense that like when he first sees the Batcave and tells Bruce that his parents would tell him, just move on. And I'm thinking, well, shouldn't you move on too? Because you're pretty much yeah. determined by what you what your parents did to you as a kid. Uh, so I feel like that he, he like he's the same sense that he hasn't really moved on from the traumas that he felt as a child, same way as Bruce hasn't. So I, I do think there's definitely some parallels between the two that I would like to go into later on. Sure. And Sean? Yeah. So I, I mean, I pretty much agree with what everyone said. Uh, I definitely see Hush as a sort of doppelganger to Bruce. He's got his own motivation, certainly, but uh, as we dig in more, you'll come to find out that they're similar in many ways, but then two sides of the same coin, you might say. Yeah, I think uh, if I were to sum up uh, Hush in one sort of uh, phrase, I guess. Actually, it could work for Batman, too. It's that both are sort of defined by their childhood. There's like a sort of defining moment and, and the two of them haven't really been able to grow past that. But speaking of that childhood, we learn actually more about Hush in the flashbacks of these stories than we do about anything going on in the present. So yeah. let's let's start with those flashbacks. What is it that we find out in these flashbacks that reveals to us what really makes Hush tick? Could anyone like sort of summarize the major details that might have defined who makes Hush or what makes Hush who he is? Uh, personally, I think we learned a lot about the family uh, in Gates of Gotham, which was a mini just uh, released prior to the New 52 reboot, which was written by uh, Scott Snyder. And that sort of added a lot of depth to the Elliot family itself, kind of as they were one of the four major families that built Gotham, but they were kind of the outsiders of the uh, compared to the other three. Uh, so I think there's kind of this long kind of standing bitterness and also kind of a subject I think was never kind of approached, which I always think they really dealt, uh, sort of hinted at heavily anyway, was uh, Tommy, uh, his jealousy of Bruce's relationship with his parents, even though it wasn't overly great. You can see that he kind of wants to kind of be closer to Bruce's parents than his own, because obviously he tries to kill his mother and father and ultimately fails when his, where his mother's concerned. And we see his mother sort of later on uh, during flashbacks in the Heart of Hush uh, kind of being this overbearing, horrible woman. But then we see that, you know, the first thing he did really whenever he came to Bruce's house, when he learned that his parents had died, was he wanted a hug from uh, Bruce's father, which I think is very telling. And he also wanted to be a doctor like Bruce's father. To me, this this kind of indicates that he wanted uh, something Bruce had that he felt that he never had. And that's why there's this deep-seated hatred. Maybe I'm reading something that isn't there, but that was kind of all something that was really hinted that they never really delved into too much. No, I agree with you there because like, even though I say like there really isn't any sort of motivation, I feel as though like the passion for it is weak, but that definitely is the root of the problem because he kind of just has this like unfound hatred for Bruce, even though Bruce 
Bruce did nothing wrong to him. And it's just like, even when you go on as the story progresses and like there's this whole like face change thing and it's it's really it's really unnecessary but i i actually do agree with you there like that's not that's not far-fetched at all uh so just kind of establishing what we learn about his uh childhood um we learned that at least in hush that uh he just has this sort of outright hatred for his parents and he wants them dead because he wants all their money they're they're very rich as glenn was saying mm-hmm. they're kind of the builders of gotham along with these other families but he doesn't care about any of that he just wants money yes and then it's kind of extrapolated on it and kind of retconned, in a sense, by Paul Dini and Heart of Hush, where we learned that his father was very abusive towards Tommy uh, and that his mother actually allowed this to go on. And that's something that now in Heart of Hush becomes a motivator for him to want to see his parents dead. And that's a little more real than his motivations in Hush, where he's just kind of this sort of angry brat who wants his parents dead. It's like a super genius, sociopathic eight-year-old, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) And, like, you even see when he's, like, talking to a psychiatrist, like, he's telling him how smart he is. And, like, you know, he's very, like, receptive. So it's just kind of, like, really... Like, it's weird. It's really human. Just kind of just to see, like, this kid that just has all this hatred and then just the way he turns around and redirects it to someone who just really does not deserve it. Oh, absolutely. There's actually been a a couple of really good points brought up so far, uh, specifically the relationship between Hush and Bruce and also the relationship between Tommy and his mother. So I feel like we could have two really long conversations about either of those. But let's start out talking about the relationship between Hush and Bruce. Like, you know... Why is there this animosity towards Bruce? And, and is it unfounded? You know, what's the source of their friendship? I feel like there's such a, a strange dynamic between the two of them because their relationship is so rooted in Bruce's past. And that's very different from any other Batman character, really. I thought it was interesting the comparison between like Bruce's understanding of his relationship with Tommy to Tommy's understanding of his relationship with Bruce because it's kind of like here Bruce is thinking he has this really close friend. Like I feel like Bruce just had no idea like when he found at the end that like Tommy was like the underlying like he or at least he was part of like Riddler's whole plan it was just kind of like really shocking to him and he didn't really understand it and I also feel like he just probably will never understand it much because it's this unfound hatred like I said that he doesn't deserve and it's not really explained and then not until we're reading like the heart of Hush where it's like oh his parents were assholes and like he had to go to like a psychiatrist and like now he's redirecting like this missing love he never had from his father or his mother with like trying to be Bruce and having that love from his family. So I actually wonder whether or not Bruce really cares that Hush is who he is and that there's this sort of animosity between them as superhero and supervillain. Does Batman care that Tommy Elliot is now with the dark side? That's a really interesting point because you think about Batman and Bruce Wayne. I mean, all of Bruce Wayne's relationships outside of Alfred and any of his, you know, quote unquote wards, you know, or whatever we're going to call his sidekicks when they're not in costume. Um, Dispensable. Dispensable. (laughs) (laughs) But like every other character to him, I mean, even Bruce Wayne and Commissioner Gordon don't share a very close relationship. And I mean, outside of like the very first issue of Batman ever back in Detective Comics, like what, 37 or what was it? Whatever, 27, uh, there you go. 30, 
two or something like that. All right, so we've got a couple different guesses. Where one of them's bound to be right, uh, but you know, outside of that first issue, or you know, there's not really a close relationship between Bruce Wayne and Commissioner Gordon either. You know, so all the close relationships that Bruce Wayne slash Batman has are with the the masked villains. You know, I, I would argue right. that Joker is up to this point probably the closest relationship that he has that isn't a sidekick or Alfred. And you know, now that one of his best childhood friends is another villain you bring up a very good point you know this this almost forces the two of them to have a relationship again you know now obviously it's a more antagonistic relationship but it's a relationship that i mean these two hadn't talked for 20 years or something bruce is going over all these moments of like yeah i was training at this point when his mother got cancer i was training in this country at this point when his mother died and uh yeah honestly it wasn't until i almost died myself that i even got back in touch with this guy i think that's a brilliant point because i do think it's it greatly affects him because like you said there uh batman or bruce is even like people in the justice league everyone he is friends with more often than not they either know both aspects of the personality or they just know batman he has very few people that just he has friends as bruce that don't know he's batman uh like you have all the all his sidekicks know he's Batman. Alfred knows he's Batman. So this was something maybe a bit special that maybe even reminded him of his parents. Uh, and that's been taken away from him again by this life that he's chosen. So I, I do think that it is something that affected him in a major way. See, I, I would agree with Glenn. I think it would affect him, even if he hadn't had any communication with him for, you know, X amount of years, sliding timeline comics, whatever. I, I think that, you know... Bruce and Batman, it's such a compartmentalization of his personality. Like, you know, it's been said in so many materials, the day his parents died, Bruce Wayne died. And from then on, Bruce Wayne was the fiction and Batman was his real personality. And here you have Tommy Elliot, who it's really Tommy Elliot and Alfred are the only two people that come before the death of his parents. And Alfred is so ingrained into his life as Batman that I feel like this loss of Tommy Elliot and Tommy Elliot becoming a supervillain kind of would mess with him because here is this last remaining link to his childhood and to his parents and now that last link is now corrupted and is trying to kill him so I, yeah. I think it would mess with his head a lot as much as anything could mess with Bruce Wayne's psyche and you you just brought up a very very interesting point in that Tommy Elliot and his whole history and story occur before Bruce Wayne became Batman before that crucial night with his parents and the gunshot you know be it Joe Chill or whatever iteration you've read you know there's one defining moment where Bruce Wayne stops to be Bruce Wayne and becomes Batman and Tommy Elliot's from before that so so many of Batman's villains people argue are there as a result of Batman Batman sort of creates his own villains. If there was no Batman, there would be no Joker, no Two-Face, blah, blah, blah. Is Tommy Elliot slash Hush the exception to that rule? Uh, I don't think so. I think it just, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I think it just would have came out as a different way. Um, obviously, it's just escalate. Like uh, One of my favorite things about the Nolan uh, trilogy is the, the talk about escalation and the reaction to a guy who dresses up as a freaking bat and fights crime. So if Bruce had never decided to be Batman... I would think that Tommy, who's clearly just a very ill man anyway, would it would have come out in a different way, naturally, uh, despite all the other villains, if that makes sense. I think that makes a lot of sense, and he is sort of emulating Bruce in some sense. I actually would argue that, in a way, Hush is kind of his first villain, because that that animosity begins before there is a Batman. So he kind of 
is created because of Bruce, but well before there's a, a Batman. So he was always an antagonist, always behind the scenes an antagonist of Bruce's. It's just that when Bruce expresses his pain through Batman, Tommy expresses his pain through Hush. So it, it's just the expression, but it was always there. So the, the villainous antagonistic intentions may have always been around, but Hush, the identity, is a result of Batman. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we've I, been talking... Sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. I was just... I, okay. There was like a specific scene. I'm trying to figure out if this was Hush or um, the other Hush, where the Green Arrow, he was having a conversation with the Green Arrow, and he was basically saying, like, I don't know where the, all this anger is coming from, but it's not something I did to you. It's something you did to me, and obviously you feel guilty about it. I kind of think that, like, circles this whole thing where it's like, Bruce is just really this person who's just trying to right a lot of wrongs that he may have no control over, and he's trying so desperately to, like, to keep everything, like, good. But all these people are trying so hard to, like, to keep him down, and, like, Hush is that kind of thing where it's, like, a, it's a personal it's someone who's very like close to him and very intimate and it and he definitely definitely affects him because like just with the way that he's explaining his whole conversation with him and he's just kind of like this guy knows my identity like you know we were childhood friends and blah 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 like he felt like you know that was something that was special to him so it just kind of like it's all like this circle of like people who are surrounding him and even though he's trying his best to keep everything under control there's everything is exploding around him whether or not like he realizes he has any like say or like control or if he has any influence in it at all oh absolutely yeah and and that anger is you know very very deep rooted i what's very interesting to me is that these two characters like you you ever hear that phrase like there but for the grace of god go i kind of thing like yeah absolutely. if it wasn't for like one or two minor details in my life like we would be having the exact same life you know like i feel like tommy elliott and batman slash bruce wayne are very much like that exact story like these two characters parallel each other so well like with the exception of two or three details one of which you know being tommy is a complete sociopath yeah but. yeah yeah it's definitely that whole constants and variable kind of thing like it's like you can have one situation and like it, something else can change it could be an alternate universe but you're probably still gonna have like the same outcome at the end well, the, the thing is as well that bruce often blames himself uh for what happened to his parents because in dark victor i think it is that jeff Lewis wrote he insists that his mother wear the pearls that the um, gunman wanted. Yeah, that's um, brutal. So, yeah, and that was the primary focus for the whole robbery, whereas Tommy uh, went out of his way to try and kill his parents. But I think, despite that, the, the key difference is what I think is obviously because Tommy continued to be horribly treated by his mother who survived and, uh, and the butler who didn't seem to really care that much. Bruce, of course, had Alfred to keep him on the straight and narrow. Yeah, it's like, what? what's it is that quote that they have? It's like, every school children knows that to whom evil is done, evil does in return. That's kind of just what it is. Just Bruce is just lucky. Well, okay, I won't say lucky because yeah, his whole life is really yeah. tra tragic. But I mean, like, even with all the horrible things that's happened to him, he's always had, like, this kind of support system, especially with Alfred. Like, I love Alfred. And then it's just kind of like Tommy just really didn't have anybody. And that's just where all this is stemming from. Well, he just had influences from other negative sources like his mother and uh, Peyton, who eventually turned into the, uh, the female ventriloquist. So he had this, just these constant negative influences that probably didn't help his health any. And then, yeah. obviously, one, one day, Edward Nigma, uh, one of the most, arguably one of the most unbalanced men on the planet, 
comes to his door and goes, by the way, remember that guy you knew as a kid? Well, guess what he deals with his nights. You know what I mean? It's actually really funny. That's horrible. But it's like funny. Like- Fabio, you said you, uh, you had something you wanted to say? Well, no, I just basically, like, um, there's something I was wondering. Like, do you guys think that uh, Tommy initially had this deep-rooted hatred for Bruce and that's why they became friends? Or do you think that he actually just became friends with Bruce just because he liked him and then got that hatred being around him or thinking, I want his life? I kind of got the impression that the friendship between the two of them was like, I don't want to say like forced, but like influenced by their parents' desires. Like it seemed like the kind of thing where like the, both their parents were like influential. And in the one book, it says that their lockers were next to each other. And I don't know if you guys are too familiar with the alphabet, but Thomas Elliot and Bruce Wayne don't match up at all alphabetically. (laughs) So up, it, it seems like uh, the kind of thing that, you know, there had to be some influence somewhere that uh, was getting these two to be at least around each other, you know, and, and obviously it was a friendship that Bruce's parents were in, uh, were accepting of and uh, very supportive of, you know, his mother's saying, you know, it's great that Bruce has a friend and all that. And I mean, we see in Heart of Hush, uh, Tommy's mother is extremely adamant about, you know, Tommy trying to spend as much time as he can with Bruce so that some of, you know, Bruce's amazing, great awesomeness rubs off on Tommy, you know, because the mother's a complete psychopath and can't handle her own son. But, you know, I digress. (laughs) Well, I I think it's a really interesting conversation to bring up Hush and Heart of Hush as we have, because, you know, I I think with Hush, and I don't mean this derogatory, I love the story, and I like a lot of what Jeff Loeb wrote, especially previous to the last 10 years. But I think, you know, Hush is at its heart a mystery story. And Tommy Elliot is introduced as his new character and we get this backstory. But because we don't find out who Hush is until the climax of the story, Loeb set him up as a, a bit of a two-dimensional character. Like, he very, he, he very much is this idea on paper of Bruce Wayne loved his parents. They died out of his control. He became Batman. Tommy Elliot hated his parents. He tried to kill them, halfway succeeded, became Hush. And then in Heart of Hush is where... So in Hush, you really get this, this just, you know, two sides of a coin, two-dimensional dichotomy thing. And in Heart of Hush is where it really explores why Tommy Elliot was like that. So I think to have that conversation about the character, it, it's an interesting comment on just what, how comic book narrative can work. Because Heart of Hush came out, I think, five years after Hush did? Five or six years? It was, it was a long period. Considering high... Uh, six, apart from there was a brief uh, storyline in a book called Gotham by Midnight uh, that was written by A.G. Lieberman uh, called Hush Returns, which was absolutely atrocious, um, I must say, that involved, brought him back a little bit, but that the that was sort of quietly swept under the rug. Uh, so his official return was um, Heart of Hush, which was a, a relatively long time between the, his debut and his reappearance, considering how popular the original storyline was. Right, so I, I just think that there's, there's that long period of time because Tommy Elliot as Hush more or less kind of serves almost as a MacGuffin in Hush. Like, the, the story is really built around this idea of, and, you know, I've always read into it that the story is built around this idea of Bruce Wayne trying to figure out which of Batman's villains is torturing him, and really it's a villain of Bruce Wayne's. But because we don't learn much about him in there, and then later it was, it was I don't even know if it technically counts as a retcon or just a new information reveal, we, we we read into his actions in Hush based on what we found out later from Heart of Hush that realistically was done by a completely different creative team. 
so I think it, it, it's hard to me it's hard to like read into both characterizations and try and say like oh his actions in Hush well clearly what the writer had in mind was that he was abused by his parents or whatever to me I, I pers- from my personal reading obviously I've never spoken to him I don't think that Jeff Loeb really intended the the Elliots to be terrible parents. I think Jeff Loeb was really just going for, like I said, the dichotomy of kid who didn't want his parents to die, saw them killed. Kid who did want his parents to die, tried to kill them and half succeeded. So my question for you with that in mind is, does using the information from Heart of Hush inform the original story and make it better? Uh, maybe it's a personal (laughs) preference thing i don't necessarily think it makes it better yeah i mean but beyond just beyond just a question of better or worse i just think that it's tough to look at something that happens in hush and try and look for quote-unquote clues or try and read it with the idea that oh okay it's because tommy elliott is a sociopath whose mother was a terrible person to him when I, i when that wasn't the implication that it was written with at all. Like, if it had been the same creative team, or if it was part of a long, ongoing story, and it, the information was just revealed later, then yeah, I think it's it's easier to go back and kind of look at it as it informs it. But, uh, you know, I don't think, I doubt Paul Dini and Jeff Loeb discussed it. Well, I think, I think what's very interesting of- about uh, Hush and Heart of Hush is that both books focus on two very, very different relationships, and I think that they do that for... Uh, very important reason. You know, Hush focuses on that friendship uh, very closely between Bruce and Tommy because ultimately that is the relationship that the present day storyline is focusing on between Hush and Batman. Whereas Heart of Hush dives a little bit more into the history of Tommy and his mother, which I think uh, sort of comes into play with the modern day action that's going on between uh, Batman and Catwoman with uh, Tommy kind of influencing that with the whole removal of the heart and everything. And actually, I, I think that's a pretty good place to uh, segue. Let's take a look at... Uh, yeah, you know what? Let's take a break here. <laughs> All right, so um, Hush has uh, obviously gotten his relationship with Bruce Wayne developed pretty heavily in the book Hush, but Heart of Hush focuses a lot more on his relationship with his mother. And, I mean, one thing that's common between both of these books is that Hush has always had these ties to classics, you know, Aristotle and Aesop's fables, which we find out in Heart of Hush that he got from his mother. I thought that was uh, very interesting because I think there's sort of an Oedipal kind of thing going on here how would you guys characterize the relationship between these two like it, it's definitely not your typical mother-son relationship well i mean it, it, it's it's interesting that you said the the edible thing just because i mean he kills his father and basically lives with his mother and has to take care of his mother it's short of married the mother but i don't know i i don't know how i would really describe the relationship because i i don't really know how i felt about the relationship when i was reading it to be honest with you like uh there was a part of me as maybe underdeveloped as it is that kind of preferred the idea of tommy as more this inverse bruce wayne who had loving parents and just wanted to kill them because all he cared about was their money rather so I don't. I can't particularly say that I cared for the idea that his mother was abusive. I just felt like Deanie, um, as great as Deanie is, and it's an interesting turn. Don't get me wrong, but 
it's all it's funny because you know on TAS a lot in the animated series they did a lot of um, turns where they would kind of take like underdeveloped villains and really develop them. You know, Mister Freeze, Poison Ivy are the the biggest examples, but there are others too. And I feel like that's what Deanie was kind of going for in comic book form with Hush. I I just say that me personally, I think I preferred the more straight. Like I would have liked to have seen it the psychology of it delved into more, but I just found it so interesting the idea of he's just the complete opposite Bruce Wayne. Yeah, there's something a little bit more sinister about him killing his parents just for his own desires versus this, you know, abuse. You know, he's a much more sympathetic character once you see just how horrible his mother is to him. You know, you you almost want to hold that pillow over her face with him, you know, once you get to a certain point. It's like, yeah, this woman is a, a horrible, like, leech who's not helping you do anything with your life and is bitching at you for it. I actually think that the the sinister elements of the character are still present because, you know, no matter what was going on in his life, you know, the fact remains that this is a, a, you know, like an eight-year-old kid who made the conscious decision to kill his parents. Mm -hmm. What we learn about him is that he's actually extremely intelligent and in some ways as a young person is smarter than Bruce Wayne. Uh, he always beat him at the game. I can't remember what game it was that they played. Chess or war? Uh, they they, was, they uh, just was, called it, it the a, war it game. game. Yeah. Right. It wasn't actually like a game. I don't think that we could go and play. No, like, yeah. but it's, no, uh, it's, 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 it's sort of like a twist <laughs> on chess with war pieces. I thought it was right. kind of like Risk, to be honest. Yeah, well, well, that was kind of how it was I was like, It was like Risk-like pieces, but if you look at the art, like it's played on a chess board, so. Or chess-like board, anyway. Right. So, so it's weird. Anyway, it's a made-up game. He was <laughs> he was better than him at that game, and so we we learn right there. This is a guy or a kid who thinks three steps ahead, you know, of any given action. So a lot of conscious decision making went into him trying to murder his parents. And um, for me, you know, if there are any eight-year-olds walking around who think like that, I'm scared of them. Right? That, so to I, me, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, with, so I think with that piece of information that it's just kind of like, he was just no help. Like, he was a lost cause at eight. Like, he was just, like, a predetermined psychopath, like, as a child. Because sometimes people, like, killers are like that. They develop all these characteristics of traits that prove them to be really hostile when they go, get older or they turn into murderers. So it's like, I mean, I think a lot of characters in the um, Batman series, especially, like, you see in Hush, they have a lot of, like, hard upbringings, but he's the only person that, I don't want to say, like, or downplay his experience but it's just like i don't think it's enough to really explain like him as a person or his mother is enough to make him such a villain i actually think that's a really interesting point when you look at a lot of the other batman villains they had something really tragic happen to them and even as villains there's a lot of redeemable elements to their character like, yeah, especially think, like mr freeze right that's yeah. who i was going to say mr freeze has a lot of that going on two-face uh poison ivy there's a lot of that in these characters with hush i we were talking about this a little bit before tommy or travis but i don't think that those elements are present i don't think that you can really i don't there's not a moment for me with hush where i look at that character now and i say that that's a guy that could be a good person. Yeah, he, he needs a redeemable moment. Like he needs really help. Bad. He needs help. That's what he needs. Yeah. Right. The psychiatrist did not help. On the other end of that, well, though, wasn't the psychiatrist uh, Scarecrow? Yeah, it was. Right? So, okay, so it makes like, a lot of sense like, that he wouldn't be the most he helpful. Just, like, it was like deterred, like he's destined to be a horrible person. Yeah. yeah. On, on the other end of that, this is also the same character in Tommy Elliot who was a doctor and a legitimate doctor at that for many years. So there's a lot of sort of inconsistencies in him that, to me, make him a really interesting character, but I don't think that they negate how dangerous he really is. 
a lot of psychopaths though did hold um, sort of very prestigious jobs because they were very intelligent, um, like surgeons or that. There's actually kind of thinking about it now. I've never, and it's kind of never occurred to me before. There's kind of a very similar relationship between him and his mother, and the relationship that real life uh, eccentric uh, billionaire um, or millionaire rather, uh, Howard Hughes had with his mother, where mm-hmm. uh, Howard Hughes was famously kind of withdrawn and kind of uh, agoraphobic and germophobic, and that was all kind of because of his mother's influence. So there's kind of a, a bit of a parallel there. I'm sure there's not that's not on purpose, but they're just thinking about it there now. It does occur to me that there's some similarities. I was going to say that the relationship reminded me very much of like a Norman Bates and his mother sort of thing, where like she's extremely overbearing. I mean, obviously with Norman Bates, he comes to person his mother in a very strange way but I think a lot of the upbringing that Tommy has and especially his feelings towards other women are very heavily influenced by uh, the way that his mother treats him I mean we see that the only other positive female relationship in his life is arguably uh, Peyton Riley um, in Heart of Hush but I mean even her he ends up ditching and you know like leaving behind no female in his mind is ever going to be worthy of him because the one female he ever loved wasn't worthy in his mother's eyes you know and and so everything in his life is defined i mean he went through his identity formation years his early childhood his junior high years being told what he needed to do when he needed to do it who he needed to be and who he could hang out with and who he couldn't and you know now that he's, you know, taken that one final step towards like any sort of individuality he might have in killing his mother. I don't think that he knows how to handle that in in terms of dealing with other females. He's never been able to have a positive female relationship. My only problem with that theory is that we don't have anything to sort of balance that off with. We don't see him having a normal relationship with any humans. So his relationship with women, while obviously there's a problem there, I think it we, we don't see the other end. We don't see him interacting with men outside of just trying to kill them, pretty much. Yeah. So, like, I see what your point is, and I think it's a valid one. I just would like to see the other side of that so that we can know that that's legitimate. But I think it comes back to, I forget who said it before, but he's, like, a very prominent, like, world-renowned surgeon. Like, this is a guy who is, like, a, a recognized surgeon. Like, I can't name a surgeon for you offhand, but they, they give you the impression that this is the kind of guy who people are like, oh, brain surgery. You're talking about Tommy Elliott, right? Yeah, I heard about this case that he had, you know. And so, like, somebody can't be that successful in that kind of a job without being, at the very least, likable. I mean, he presents himself to and Alfred pretty well. To be honest, like, in Hush, he seems very charismatic. Like, he seems like a very friendly, personable guy. That's why during the end, I was just kind of like, oh, really, dude? All right. Like, you're working with the Riddler? Okay, that's cool. But, like, it, it's something that you definitely don't see coming. So I really do agree with you when you're saying, like, you would like to see that whole, like, spectrum. But even in just those little moments where you see him talking amongst like his co-workers or whatever and he's talking about Bruce very briefly it's kind of like that's the only time you see him interacting but it seems like somehow during those years of hatred he's was able to develop like this facade yeah, like it, it's like the Tommy Elliot that everyone else sees is the real mask and and actually now that I mentioned that the idea that his real identity is Hush wrapped up in bandages kind of you know supports this idea that Hush doesn't really know who he is. He spends so much of his time in the pages of Batman trying to become Bruce Wayne and not being satisfied with Tommy Elliot. Brian, you just made a face. I feel like I just said what you were going to say. No. Oh, okay, good. All right. You had something though? Yeah, no. Um actually all I was just going to say is that's a uh 
that's a very like common sociopathic trait like how many times do you see something about like a serial killer and people talk about how oh they were they were the best neighbor <laughs> i never would have known and, and yeah. like they do become good at putting on this mask and kind of faking it with people and like you know like the second time i read hush after i knew the ending as soon as i got to those scenes i was thinking oh tommy elliott is probably like in the back of his in, in his mind thinking like i could kill you all i right. could i could kill every patient who's on my table with just like one little nick but he puts on the facade of not it's a god complex he Mm -hmm. has uh, in a way because he like he uh he has all these lies in his hands yeah i I was just gonna say the exact same thing like this is a very like he's definitely a sociopath he's not right in the head but it's like a very controlled and directed sociopathy like he has like Mm -hmm. glenn and like brian were saying lives in his hands i mean he's he's a fucking brain surgeon you know like anytime he goes on the operating table if he's doing his job he can kill somebody but he has restrained himself and controlled himself because his anger or sociopathy is so directed towards Bruce for whatever friggin' reason. It's a very, very interesting point. I kind of want to take this following up on that, but in maybe a little bit of a different direction. I'd like to see more of what he did in his years after his mother died, but before Hush, because I wonder, did he kill anyone in that time period? You know, like what things were he involved in? Did he have, have you seen the show Dexter? <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, like, that was him. I was like, I hoping this guy would have had some sort of happiness, but no, he just held this like grudge against Batman for years. It's just like, I guess maybe he was just trying to kind of like qualify or just to show like he was just as worthy as Batman in their perspective careers. Like, well, I also think it's interesting because, like, Glenn brought up the the idea of a god complex, and it's just like I almost feel like maybe that was more what he was, you know, to to use kind of offensive jargon, getting off on. Like maybe in those years, as he trained to be a brain surgeon, maybe he didn't kill anybody because the choice was always literally in his hands, and that was what mattered to him. Well, and then when he found out Bruce was Batman, I've always read into it like he decided. I hate you so much and you had everything I wanted and you you were given the gift I wanted of dead parents and you wasted it. So he... he you got what a gift. And I did it. What a <laughs> Dick Grayson <laughs> got that gift. Jason Todd had that gift. It happens in Gotham. Spider-Man had that gift. <laughs> and like... So, I, so like all yeah. I want for Christmas is dead parents. Dead, please. <laughs> So, like, I feel like he then crafted himself into his idea of Batman's arch nemesis. Like, I don't think he was going around killing people before he found out Bruce was Batman. Isn't that kind of comedic in a way? Like, isn't that, I, I know that's horrible to say, but it's just kind of like, like, Batman, like, Bruce had no idea. Like, this guy just had this, like, unfound hatred for years and was just like, um, I can do this, I can do that, my career. It's just... <sighs> I think and it's, it, funny. it's also just such a cool character piece because, you know, Batman is Batman and he's got hundreds of thousands of files on like every bum he's ever shaken down in an alley, <laughs> let alone the Joker and the Riddler or Poison Ivy or whoever. And yet this guy had this undying hatred for him probably more than most of his own rogues gallery do honestly right and he didn't have a none like he was just like it's tommy and i was like yeah it's it's tommy apparently now what's interesting to me is that you guys have like you guys are pretty much in agreement about the god complex thing yeah definitely well what's interesting to me is that you know, he states that his motivations for becoming a surgeon in the first place were because he wanted to emulate uh, Thomas Wayne. So I don't know if his motivations behind 
you know, not killing people on the table is necessarily from getting off at, like you said, on the control of, you know, this person's life is in my hands as much as it is him seeking out some kind of approval desperately from any kind of figure. Like he wants to desperately be the one positive male role model that he ever had in his life who was, while it was ripped from Bruce Wayne, it was ripped from Tommy also. I mean, because Tommy had already lost his father through his own doing, but he now lost the one person he actually respected. And now, I, I don't know who exactly Tommy's trying to prove anything to. I don't know if he's point. trying to prove to the ghost of Thomas Wayne. I don't know if he's trying to prove to Bruce in a weird way that, you know, I can be the surgeon that Thomas Wayne was, but there's, there's this desire, this drive to be that man, you well, know? Well, in a way, I don't think they're counterintuitive though. Cause like you said, he, he holds Thomas Wayne up as this ultimate male role model in his life that he was so desperately jealous of and was so much better than his own father. Thomas isn't even that positive an influence, really. It was more, Thomas, to me, always seemed a lot more distant uh, in the stories I've read, anyway, than it, it seemed to me always that Bruce had a much closer relationship with his mother. Yeah, but I yeah, mean, but from I Tommy's mean, for, perspective, for Tommy, anyway. But like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, from an outside perspective. Yeah. To if Tommy looks up to Thomas Wayne as almost a mythical figure mm -hmm. then it kind of wraps up the idea of having a god complex being able to do what thomas wayne did kind of wraps into having a god complex because to him thomas wayne is this mythical larger than life i don't want to say god but almost in a no, way that, like that wrapped makes up. a lot of sense yeah that, that so I, I think like there are two tracks that kind of run parallel so one of the things that uh somebody brought up earlier reminded me of this book that Justin read called uh, Truth by Susan Batson, which, by the way, her last name is spelled Batson, and I just love that to be able to <laughs> reference Batson <laughs> in a Batman <laughs> podcast is pretty awesome. But she references, uh, again, connecting to Hush, uh, some very classically rooted ideas in the, the whole idea of the inner truth, which is who you really are on the inside, the outer need or desire, which is what you want everyone to think that you are, and then this tragic flaw, which is rooted in, you know, specifically in like tragic characters, but in villains specifically uh, in this instance, you know, this fatal, you know, trait that is just the cause of your ultimate downfall. So what do you think uh, in this instance, the fatal downfall might be or the, the inner truth, the outer desire and that tragic flaw? Well, I mean, you know, I've written... A character like that um, in uh, Melanie Sparks, who uh, sort of puts forward this uh, persona that she uh, wants everyone to believe, but she's actually someone completely different. And there's a lot of characters like that in fiction, like Dexter Morgan and Walter White. And I think they kind of like the uh, anonymity of it all in a little way. And they also like the power that that gives them. They've got this secret. It's, it's all in his name. There, It's right there. Hush. I know that Bruce obviously knows who he is, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure what his public status is. As far as I can recall, he's never spent any time in, in Arkham uh, because obviously he knows Bruce's identity. He's always been uh, locked up sort of in um, Wayne Enterprises or that. I think after, uh, uh, I mean, in the middle of Hush, Tommy fakes his death and they have a whole funeral and everything. So I don't think anyone's even aware that he's alive after that point. Right. You're probably right. Um, I don't know, again, what the step is. They've changed the character a little bit um, for the new 52. But I think it's kind of this kind of, oh, I 
I am this sort of, and no one knows who I am. He gets this this sort of secret identity complex and this this power to um, portray this one face to the world while inside being someone completely different. And and there's something there's something I think very addictive about that. Again, you saw uh, for using Breaking Bad as an example, Walter White went from the lovely guy next door to the most horrendous criminal you can imagine, almost uh, in a very short space of time because of all the power and stuff. That uh, it, it can be addictive, you know. Uh, doing wrong can seem like the best thing in the world. I think it's very easy to go down a dark path, which again is another main difference between himself and Bruce. So my idea for his tragic flaw is actually that he's got a, a massive inferiority complex. Uh, I think that we've seen that throughout the series. Um, psychologically, you often project who you want to be to the rest of the world while inside not actually seeing yourself that way. And so consistently throughout the series or throughout the character's history, we've seen him projecting himself as this mastermind. I think three steps ahead of you, you know, he, he boasted in front of Bruce about how good he was at that game, how much better he was than him at that game. It's important to, to him during his time frame as, you know, just a, a surgeon, that he be the best surgeon in the world, you know? So I kind of see him as seeing himself as not better than, you know? He's so obsessed with beating Batman, but he just can't do it. And I think that that's a huge part of the character. Yeah, I would actually agree with that, like, 100%. I would say his his inner self, starting from childhood, is this person who is just really, really reaching to prove to somebody that he is worthy of love and attention. He's never gotten it from his mother. I mean, he killed his father, so he couldn't get it from his father after a certain point. But that is who he really is on the inside. So on the outside, here's this guy who is proving to everybody. This this is a, a worldwide thing that here is the best surgeon in the world. He's awesome. He's charismatic. He's the kind of guy who's going to walk into the emerg uh, emergency room and go, hey, what's everyone looking so bad about? I'm going to have you playing golf by lunch. you know. And then on the way out, <laughs> he goes, well, I can tell you he's never playing violin again, but he's going to be all right. You know, this guy's cool. He's the Fonzie. You know, that's what he wants everyone to think. But the tragic flaw of it all is, like Sean said, there's this overconfidence in himself and in his own abilities to think three steps ahead. And every step of the way, we find out that as far ahead as he thinks he's thinking, he's not thinking far ahead enough. He can outsmart Batman. You know, obviously for a time he was able to, but ultimately Batman caught up to him. And he can't truly even outsmart the Gotham City Police Department because if he wasn't like eight years old, they figured out exactly who cut those breaks real friggin' quick <laughs> and no one wanted to believe that an eight-year-old had done it, you know? So as much as he likes to think that he's so smart and thinks three steps ahead of everyone, I think that overconfidence in his own abilities is the tragic flaw. Yeah, so I kind of agree, sorry. It's just, I think there is no real physical love. It's all very materialized. It's kind of ideal, even with, like, Bruce Wayne's father. I don't feel like he really wants some sort of, like, human compassion. Like, it's all, like, where he feels in his mind that he has to be, like, this sort of status, like, of superiority. I really do agree that it is an inferiority complex because otherwise like I haven't really seen him desire to really be with someone because he got that love and compassion from Bruce if that's really what he needed I felt like he would have been fine but he's not and he's always been basically trying to like defeat Bruce and make him like less of a person when that's kind of the only person that really gave him some sort of love and affection so I don't really think he cares I just think he's such a sociopath that he just cannot really love another human being. 
I got one last question for this segment, and then we're going to move on to the next one. Uh, last question for this segment. So Tommy was always extremely protective of that emerald circle ring necklace pendant thing that he got from his mother. This was brought up in Hush. It was returned to in Heart of Hush. What symbolically do you think the uh, emerald jade pendant ring circle meant? to hush to the story uh because i feel like as an an object you know if you're going to bring up an object so many times in a story there's got to be a reason for that you know i actually think that what malia was saying is is exactly ties into this she was saying that it's all sort of materialistic right and i i think that that's exactly what this is he doesn't recognize love as a thing that can be translated through emotion uh, or through words or anything like that it's it's very much materialistic it's very much you know if his parents had given him total access to all of their cash when he was eight years old he probably wouldn't have killed him uh at least as far as (laughs) the original series is concerned if you add on the heart of hush stuff then maybe yeah but if you're just looking at Hush, he would have been cool with that. And I think that what you're saying, Malia, kind of is that, is that reason. Yeah, and even, like, when there was that whole fight scene he had with Bruce and he, like, probably was about to kill him. Like, I, it's, it's very, it's just the object of it. And even then, we kind of don't really, I don't think we could really get to see exactly what it means to him. We can speculate. But, I mean, it could be one of those situations where it's just, like, the memories that it holds, like, is strong enough for a, of a motivator for him to keep it close to him. But we don't really know that. So I don't think it's like, it's my mom's pendant. Like, I want to keep it close to me. I don't think it's that at all. I think that's kind of cliche. And and he's just such an abstract individual. It doesn't connect like that at all. I do think it's the object itself. And it could be the memories. That's my theory. But we really don't know. Interestingly, I I do think that he does hold some value. Some Because I just, and this is me reading into it. I think that he recognized that his mother was on some level caring for him when he was a young child, because she was the one that instructed him, listen, you always need to think three steps ahead. She was the one that was quoting, you know, these great philosophers to him. But I think that what really connected was this pendant, you know, and I, and again, it goes back to him being very materialistic. I think that he took all of those messages as, okay, this is on some level her trying to help me out, but she's not stepping in the way, but there are these lessons and there is this pendant and this is how I remember my mother through this material object. I could definitely agree with that, but I, I kind of want to take it a step further because like even like within the shape of the pendant, like the idea of this ring that goes around and around forever and ever, I think we can read into the way that Hush looks at love. I think that ultimately that's what the pendant does represent. Like you were saying, there is a part of his mother that does honestly love and care for him and wants the best for him and she as a person doesn't really know how to express that uh, in the most loving way. Um, so this pendant is that piece of love that he gets from his mother and that he holds on to. And I think that from the moment that he decides to kill her, you know, th- that's a, a very difficult moment for him because he's killed the only person that has had any semblance of love for him that he has also had any semblance of love for. You know, his his relationship with Peyton Riley is the next relationship to get cut off almost immediately following the decision to kill his mother. And I think ever since that point has been this desperate attempt to find that same admiration or that not not admiration because he's obviously admired, but to get that same love 
from somebody that that unconditional no matter who you are no matter what you do I will not only love you but try to help you be better and and I don't know that he knows how to even begin finding that love so when he gets anything that starts to resemble that I think the cycle begins he breaks that off and finds himself continuing that search and it just goes around and around uh, I was just gonna take it like sort of seeing how it is in their relationship between his relationship between Bruce and just how everything just comes kind of goes back full circle like it started out when they were children then they just meet up they kind of had similar situations but different and they sort of just went off on their own path but somehow at the end they all just met up again with and totally different sides Bruce is a hero and Hush is a villain so I just kind of like see that as like this sort of like their their relationship just keeps going in a circle never ending makes a lot of sense let's take a a quick break and i just, I just wanted to throw oh go ahead one Sorry, thing in there my bad. Um, Can't forget about Brian. No, that's okay. i kind of i think i agree with everybody i think i kind of i kind of always looked at it like again once everything was revealed i kind of always looked at it as he is holding on to it in some memorial of his mother but it is a memorial in the sense of what he thought was important about his parents and that was their financial gain and their status. And by hold, he's holding on to it because that is a symbol of the fact that he is now what they were. And in his mind, what they were growing up to be. And I also, I, this might be a stretch, but this is actually something that I thought of a long time ago. Like when I first read, I didn't even have this thought ready for the podcast. But I, I, I always thought it was interesting that he cherishes this necklace and... Uh, you know, the the iconic symbol of Bruce's mother getting married, uh, getting murdered, rather. It was a jump. Bruce's mother getting murdered. (laughs) Some would argue they're the same. Is (laughs) is the, uh, the broken pearl necklace. Yeah, that's absolutely a brilliant point. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to dive into the overall plot uh, a little bit more once we uh, come back. I need to just stand up and move around for a minute. All right, for segment number uh, three slash four slash whatever number this is, I've lost out. 13? All right, for for segment 13 here, I want to uh, start off actually with a close reading of a scene that Sean has referenced a number of times. Specifically, it's the uh, the first flashback of Bruce with Tommy in their childhood, and uh, they're playing chess or war or some made-up, combination of the two and and coming right off of um, the previous panel on the previous page uh, which uh, I'm reading an absolute version of this with uh, Jeff Loeb and uh, Jim Lee with uh, Jim Lee's original pencils here and I gotta say in the original just black and white Hush in his regular surgical mask already looks like Hush with the addition of colors you kind of lose that effect but it's kind of cool so we've got a very cool shadowy sort of watercolor style here on the flashback pages and we get uh, Tommy saying you sure you want to do that and Bruce saying I know what you're doing Tom me you want me to you want to make me second guess my move actually i'm offering to save your life and bruce saying just try and kill me which is particularly entertaining because i mean ultimately that's this this whole flashback scene right here just tells you the entire story of the book you read this flashback and you've got the entire story just symbolically so obviously you know tommy is actually trying to kill bruce and says bruce you're already dead how can you tell you haven't even moved yet it won't happen on the next move it's six moves from now you forgot your most important piece bruce I've got my general guarded. Not your general, your spy. And people who have read the book will know that the spy, in this case, will be the tinkerer who was planted on the inside of Bruce's organization. And this whole thing 
you know, plays out and Tommy's so overconfident and we see that, you know, thinking three, six, seven steps ahead all playing out. And in this particular instance, we've got, uh, you know, Tommy actually winning, but uh, obviously in the book, Bruce ends up on top. And we also get to see the uh, approval of uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne saying that the two are going to be lifelong friends. The thing that's interesting to me about this is that Hush is trying to say here that he's got the most effective tactics, that Bruce will never possibly be able to beat him. And, you know, ultimately, Bruce isn't able to beat him. But do you guys think that his tactics are effective? It is the the means to his end? Does that work, you know, at any point? Well, he, want, he wants Bruce dead, so no. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it didn't work very well for him in the end. I mean, I think the overall plan was to just get inside his head and mess with him. I think he succeeded in that effect. I mean, obviously, yeah. he, he ultimately failed, but I think he was the villain that, that really got the audience and Bruce questioning, who the heck is this guy? Yeah, there were like yeah. seven or eight red herrings of who the hell is Hush. And, and that was the first time reading through it. You know, nothing will be able to recreate that first time reading through. And every single time that somebody else peels off the bandages, you're like, oh, it's that guy. Oh, oh, it's that guy. Oh, no, wait. It's, oh, it's that guy. And then finally it's Tommy. You're like, wait, what? I thought this guy fucking died like eight <laughs> yeah, issues ago. Yeah, this is like really like, fucking confusing. Well, I, I think that like from, a, from an in-story psychological standpoint, I think his tactics work, but he underestimates why they work. The reason he's able to stay ahead of Bruce is because Bruce could have come up with a list of 10,000 names that would have wanted to kill him and never would have put Tommy Elliot on the list. Tommy thinks they're working because he's a genius strategist. They're working because Bruce has figured it out, but he has, he would never imagine that it's Tommy. And as soon as his identity is revealed, he's dead in the water, basically, in my opinion. That kind of parallels, then, the exact same situation when Tommy kills his parents and the cops have it all completely figured out, but no one would suspect in a thousand years that it was this eight-year-old who killed his own parents. Right. Very interesting. I actually think that his tactics and strategies failed completely because... If his goal was to get in Bruce's head and affect him on a personal level, that didn't happen. Uh, I think what he didn't realize is that there's only Batman, right? And Batman doesn't, he doesn't care about these things. You know, he was building a relationship with Catwoman, but it's not like that was hard for him to, you know, put away. And it's not like he was distracted enough not to be able to put these pieces together. They reference her as a distraction a number of times in Hush. But ultimately, you don't really get a sense that she affected Bruce or Batman enough to keep him off the trail. In fact, when Jason Todd is revealed as being, you know, Hush at some point, you know, another red herring. Batman already knows that that's not Jason or Todd. Or a red hood ring. <laughs> oh, oh, <no>. boy. <laughs> he already uh, knows. I'll be <laughs> no, it's okay. You can stay. He, he already knows that that's not the real Jason Todd, and he's completely unaffected. So his strategy wasn't it's not that it wasn't intelligent it's just that he he didn't realize who he was messing with that, that batman just doesn't care strangely enough retconned later and we find out that that was the real red hood at least for a uh, time period there but you have a very that's very, a spoiler for another episode spoiler, yeah spoiler for the next episode in fact um but you have a very very good point and actually you make me uh want to ask do you guys think that batman and catwoman were really in love do you think that that was another hush manipulation because like sean said if that was a hush manipulation it was a manipulation that didn't really seem to affect a whole no. lot no i think that they were as in love 
as Bruce Wayne's psyche will allow him to love someone. Yeah, like what like, a political that correct was a, answer. Which it is really like, was. which to Noel, which is to me is like barely on any level. Like that was the like, closest. As close as it can get, they were, but like in a normal human idea of love, no. But I mean, he revealed the one like ultimate secret, you know, like outside of, you know, Alfred and apparently now Tommy and the other sidekicks. Nobody knows this identity, and this is something that he struggles with all the time. You know, I think that's I think that's more a sign of trust than love, though. Okay, that's fair. Go ahead. <laughs> no, because like I mean, I think we're kind of all in the same like boat that it, it it was some form of love for him as much as he could like translate it as love. I don't think Hush manipulated it necessarily as he like helped like push the strings. He like pushed them together he, and like he, they he just basically ha- like he, the result. I mean, uh, throughout all of Lewis' uh, work on Batman, the relationship between Batman and Catwoman is a big thing. So in Long Halloween and Dark Victory and even uh, Catwoman when in Rome. It's oh like yeah, a great big, book. Big thing. It is a great book. And I just think he just took what was kind of under the surface and kind of manipulated them a bit closer, but there will always be part of Batman who will never kind of let him get that attached to somebody because, of course, it just interferes with his uh, whole mission. I completely agree with what you said. I think anytime... So th- the other thing that I think about when I think about his relationship with Catwoman here is in Batman Rest in Peace, and I know we're not really talking about that book, but in that book, Jezebel Jett is portrayed as Batman's love interest, and she is, this is a spoiler, but she's working against him. She's a part of the conspiracy to bring him down. Wasn't she like Scorpiona or something? Yeah, some, something there was like something that. like that. And, but she's ultimately working against him, and not only does he know that, but he doesn't care. Uh, so it's another example why I, f- I feel like Batman doesn't l- romantically love anyone. I don't think he's capable. I don't think he wants to. I think he recognizes that it would get in the way of the mission, and he would never, ever allow that. Sean just hit on something that, that I kind of wanted to correct myself before. When I said it was trust, not love, I don't know if it's necessarily not love in the broadest sense of that emotion as much as I don't think that Bruce Wayne is capable of a romantic relationship with anyone or certainly on a long ongoing basis he would never allow himself to be i think that's just valid for the both of them like they're not normal True. people this these aren't people that like work at wendy's and they're just like let's go out on a date like no these are like one was a once was a villain is now a hero one's been a hero his entire life so it's very true that he can't have a normal relationship but as far as love goes like the emotion his understanding i think he was very like he admitted it that he had feelings for cat women and it scared him so there is going to be like this little like these shackles that are going to keep him from actually like adventuring into like that relationship aspect because he kind of has to in order to keep people safe but i mean that's definitely like the closest form of like love or being in love with someone else that i think he's been in Uh, let me say that like this was one of my favorite batman stories because of the relationship between batman and catwoman like ever since i saw batman returns like that is one romance that i've just been rooting for and like when uh the dark knight rises when i saw that in theaters and that was the ending i was just like walking out of the theaters just like yeah bruce wayne got like a happy ending Ending. Like he never gets a happy ending. You know? <laughs> Don't even get me started on that. And this is another book where Bruce Wayne doesn't get a happy ending. <coughs> but in this particular instance, it's through his own freaking stupid decision making. And I'm sitting there just like, Bruce, 
Like that was the most aggravating moment for me because it was like, there's this microchip. I have no idea what the hell it was making me do. No part of this romance was actually a negative thing, but I got to end it anyway because, you know, what if? Well, it, it's funny you say that, though, because I think like Dark Knight Ri- the ending of Dark Knight Rises is actually relevant to what we were saying in that whatever one thinks of the ending of Dark Knight Rises, the only way Bruce would ever have a romantic relationship is if he was done being Batman. Right. So that's why at the end, Dark Knight Rises ends the way it does, but Hush, he's not giving up being Batman. So, like, I've always thought the chip thing was really just like a... Like, where did that story. come from? It's, it's, it's a it sex mocking. They gotta even throw like, some stupid like, excuse Even, in like, in story, I don't think Bruce believes that the <laughs> chip like, made him do anything. Everybody's just like, who the fuck cares about this chip? I like, think it was really just... He was where did like, come from? Oh, that was yeah, Jeff Loeb's excuse that Bruce and Catwoman weren't still together at the end of the storyline. Let's be honest. The author needed to restore the status quo. He got the go-ahead from DC to introduce a whole new character, and he wasn't going to ask for anything as extreme as putting Bruce into a long-term relationship with Catwoman. He needed to throw something in there that broke that up. But I feel like it still would have been natural if he was just like, hey, can we just like chill and do, take things slow or something? Because that whole experience with FWB. him... FWB? <laughs> <laughs> but like I mean like the whole experience and like that like that he had with Tommy and everything that was going on with like the Riddler and all the villains that he had to face like that was I don't want to say traumatic enough but like that was a lot of pressure he had to deal with so I can honestly just like imagine like that would seem more realistic if he was just like I can't do this right now like I'm afraid of you dying like he envisioned Catwoman dying just like Robin was Robin possibly died so it's well, just that, kind that's of that's what I was going to say yeah, yeah. Like, uh, because at, at the end of the day it's I knew that it's kind of difficult for Bruce and Selina to have a relationship, but Catwoman and Batman's relationship is quite well known. So if they do sort of go into this long-term thing, it makes her a target, which I don't think he would ever do, especially for someone like the Joker, who basically makes a hobby out of killing close to Batman. But yeah, I I just think that was a key thing to the point at the ending where... He in issue, I think it was part six. He had that vision in the alleyway where he was going to be lying someday in an alley, cradling Catwoman's dead body. And I think that's just what he wants to avoid, as well as fearing that he's been manipulated into emotions that he doesn't necessarily have, but maybe he does have. But he's just like he says, he's frightened of them. Uh, like even if you look at uh, Mask of the Phantasm, he's willing to give up being Batman to be with Andrea Beaumont because uh, he's find happiness again. But uh, that's, of course, just the start of his career. He's been Batman for years at the point of Hush. So it, if it comes down to a choice, he's probably he's always going to continue on uh, until he's probably dead. That, that's the sad thing. That was the point, I think, as well. Neil Gaiman underlined in uh, Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader, there's no, there's no happy ending here. Yeah, then, and that's uh, definitely very true of Batman. And I think a lot of that has to do with the mission. And I think a lot of it has to do with one of those similarities we were talking about with Batman and Hush in the first place, that these are two characters. And I mean, we can honestly throw Selina Kyle in there as well. These are three characters who didn't get childhoods. You know, Batman was orphaned and dedicated his life from the age of like, you know, anywhere from eight to 12, depending on the interpretation you're reading, dedicated his life to fighting crime. Here's Tommy, who was obviously sociopathic at a young age, killed his father and then spent the rest of his life in servitude up to a point, you know, just this entire time harboring this animosity towards Bruce and Selena Kyle, who, you know, was an orphan living on the streets for most of her life. Here's three characters who never had that loving relationship 
as a model for them when they were in their identity formation years and who don't necessarily know what love really looks or feels like because of the lifestyles that they've had. You know, the closest that anyone has based on their childhood and the person that was raising them is Bruce and Alfred. And that's the most loving relationship of the three of them that we had in their childhood. I love Alfred. I just wanted to say that really quickly. <laughs> Alfred, Alfred, I think, is quite possibly one of the best, if not the best, supporting character in comics. I agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely high on the list, yeah. So I, I think if you're just looking at Hush, then... Travis, what you said is, is accurate. But I think when you sort of expand and look at other works that include Batman, uh, like we just referenced The Dark Knight Rises, and also the current comics, you see that as soon as he's done with Batman, for whatever reason, he's always in a relationship. So in the current comics, in the most recent issue of Batman, this is a spoiler, you see that he's, he's no longer Batman, and he no longer has the memory of being Batman, and that trauma is gone. He's immediately in a relationship with a woman. And in The Dark Knight Rises, as soon as he's done being Batman, he's with Catwoman. I'm going to challenge that whole idea with this, you know, what is Bruce Wayne's identity? Because there's times where, I mean, if you look at uh, the animated series as an example, there's a moment where, you know, Mad Hatter or someone takes over his brain and is making him do shit. But the entire time... You know, it's Bruce Wayne who's been taken over, who's referring to himself in his inner monologue as Bruce. And someone, Robin, asks him at the end of the episode, how did you know that you had had your mind taken over, that somebody else was trying to manipulate you? And he was like, because they called me Bruce. Well, why? What do you call yourself? And he just makes this look like, come on, really? Like, you know what I call myself. I would argue that that then means that the Batman persona is the thing that's incompatible with the the human relationship and specifically the female romantic relationship, which obviously, you know, puts a, a big hole in the whole whether or not he was able to grow up from childhood thing. But then, you know, maybe Bruce is, uh, is that adult part of him and Batman is like the uh, that childish part of him. You know, he's getting up into costume. He's still fighting for crime uh, against a crime that can never possibly be solved that roots back to his childhood. Um, so I don't think that the two of those ideas are necessarily uh, incompatible, I guess, is what I'm I, saying. It probably depends, too, on what, you know, it obviously depends on what interpretation of Batman you're looking at. Like, you know, you bring up the animated series, but we know his future in the animated series is he ends up alone in the cave until <laughs> until eventually his spoiler genetic real spoiler his genetically modified son shows up and he becomes you know batman's mentor but in other interpretations there is this idea that he can hang up the cowl and you know to, to tie it back into hush i always look at hush i, I don't know from Loeb, but even from Loeb's other batman works i've always thought that he uses the triangle approach to batman like the idea that there's batman and there's Bruce Wayne, and both are kind of facades. And the real psyche there is like the eight-year-old boy who watched his parents get murdered. And like, if you strip down to what the re the quote-unquote real Bruce Wayne is, he's kind of frozen at that time. But that's also what's so infuriating about the fact that him and Catwoman like are just not together is because they work perfectly for each other. Because Catwoman is such a strong like supporting character, like she can protect herself, even though at times like Batman has had to. But then also too, they've they've saved each other equally. Yeah. So it's just kind of like one of these things where it's like he it's really not I think the facades that he holds or the two lives he's trying to place together. It's just that deep that emotion that deep rooted flaw 
he has where he's just really afraid of watching people he loves get hurt. So he's like, even I think there was like one time where um, he was like picking Catwoman up or doing something and she was just like, you don't have to protect me. I can protect myself. And it's just this kind of coddling effect that he's always going to have and it's just never going to leave so I don't think it's a persona he's having problems it's just like a, a really f- a flaw that's like it's deep rooted like he, it won't change well so how do you then rationalize that against the fact that he has sidekicks who are frequently very much in danger because it's a human emotion like humans need like contact with other humans he has alfred but he does like desire like what it's like to fight alongside someone that we're can... gonna dive so hard into this exact question in the next <laughs> podcast oh okay we're i'm gonna not dive so hard into this okay, we're should... talking about jason todd should... so, sh... so somebody remind me that i have J- like, a really who? response to that <laughs> jason todd uh yeah, the, the sidekicks. Oh, should I just I, I stop know, now? Know, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, sorry, like, sorry, I'm sorry. That was like, okay. I was just like, I was like, does he not know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was kidding. <laughs> um, so, hush. Wait, guys. This, this is kind of a good segue point, though. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking about Catwoman, but, you know, earlier we had said that there's a ton of villains that show up in between both of these stories. And I think that Hush has a very interesting dynamic just as one of the villains interacting with the other villains. It's really hard to figure out like where in this hierarchy of like A-list, B-list, C-list, D-list, like where the hell does he fit? He's manipulating certain people. He's being manipulated by certain other people. Like I was going to bring up this point earlier actually is that Despite the fact that, like you guys said, about him being perceiving himself as his mastermind, apart from Heart of Hush, he's always kind of been just part of the, an overall bigger plan. In, in Hush, he was uh, part of the Riddler's plan, and then in uh, Batman Eternal, he was part of that. He was just another segment of that story rather than the main instigator. So even though he sees himself as this great mastermind, he's actually only ever mostly portrayed as kind of like a major pawn in a much bigger plot, which I think is interesting as well. I think that plays directly into the inferiority complex thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's very Eminem Stan. It's like, (laughs) just like this guy just bottling up these emotions and the other person just has no idea. He didn't see it coming. But I mean, I I really do agree with that point. Well, I would uh, definitely say that the dynamic between him and, because he's definitely in control of certain villains. There's certain things that he definitely orchestrates. So there's a very big question with Hush the story in particular, where does Riddler's control end and Hush's begin? What was Riddler in control of and what was Hush making happen? Uh, The way I've always read it was that Riddler was only in control of Hush, but Riddler was guiding Hush in a way that Riddler intended. But I think that Hush was the one in direct control over the other villains. Because I think that in a weird way, the other villains would have never taken direction from the Riddler. So it was a sort of thing where, like, Riddler was, like, the manager at your job who went, hey, I've got this thing I want you to do. I don't give a fuck how you do it or who you make do what needs to be done to make it happen. Just make sure it gets done. And Hush, the employee, was like, all right, screw it. You know, I, I know these seven other dudes who are going to do a piece of this puzzle for me. Not, and- not necessarily, because okay. I think that, you know, we never see it, but I think that Riddler, it was probably more like Riddler, you know, uh, maybe you should do this. And you know who might be good for that? If you get in touch with, you know, Villain X. But I think that... No, no, go ahead. ahead. I'm just saying he specifically chose people that he could 
uh, offer something to as well. Like with Harvey, he could offer him uh, the reconstructive surgery as a surgeon. Uh, they promised Killer Croc uh, a like uh, some sort of formula to fix him. And with Poison Ivy, very simple. They just offered her a lot of money. So it was all people I think he could easily go, okay, well, I can offer them this and this is how they're going to fit into my overall plan. But it was kind of Riddler who kind of got the ball rolling, but it was very much Hush who sort of planned the more in-depth details, if that makes sense. That kind of goes back to, um, I think uh, you, Travis, were saying where he's like just not smart enough. Well, okay, I don't want to say he's not smart enough, but I think he's just so passionate about like his goals to like kind of ruin who Batman is that he doesn't realize that he was manipulated. Maybe he kind of took it as I'm going to involve myself in this plot and get what I want out of it, not really thinking about where it would backfire and it would ultimately lead to his demise. I also um, think I'm good. Just, I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm going to head on, guys, if that's okay. I'm getting okay. up for hey. work in about four hours. Yay. Well, no problem, Glenn. Hey. Um, hopefully uh, you can catch some rest. Thank you for joining us on the Comics Verse I'm podcast. I'm sorry I can't stay for I really, I mean, I'm really enjoying the conversation. Hey, I no problem. I haven't... I've added a little bit to you, it. You've um, definitely added quite a lot. We were and I wanted to, to like, it's been spectacular. And I felt bad about the break, and I was like, okay, I have to include him in the next break, because it was a really good conversation, <laughs> and I was so upset. I was like, oh, God, wow. That's fine. I was just sitting there going, oh, forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sorry. Sorry, Glenn. That's have a good night, okay. man. Take care. I, I had fun. Uh, this side's a bit. I had fun watching you all. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. That's okay. Don't worry about it. It was lovely meeting you, uh, people that I haven't met yet. Definitely, definitely. Likewise. Awesome time. Good talking to you, Glenn. Always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much. Um, And I'll definitely be up for this again at some point. Talk to you guys soon. We'll let you know about the next one, man. Have a good one. Have a good night. night. Bye. So I was just going to say, I'm sorry. I was just going to say really quickly that I also think that the same way that the we talked before about like the mystique of Hush and part of what made Hush's tactics successful early was that Batman had no idea who he was. I also think as far as recruiting villains, the mystique of Hush probably helped you know i think that if you're if you're you know poison ivy for example by that point you've all teamed up against batman so many times that if the riddler shows up and he's like no that this time i've got it you're probably like all right you get yeah. out get out of like, here to be honest, like, but like when it's hush and this mysterious person in bandages even the villains were pro i think ooh, were a little like oh yeah. maybe this guy really knows what he's doing and i was like so relieved i've had no clue but this one. <laughs> like and with that i was like so relieved and batman kind of gave riddler that little like speech and he was just kind of basically telling him that he was nothing because it was just like this is the they've done this dance before many many times and it was just so tiring bad. it's <laughs> so it was just like I was like alright Riddler I don't care about you either but it was just like the effect that it was Tommy was still lingering in my mind and I hadn't even read um, Heart of Hush yet so I was just like what the fuck but can we go back to Tommy because I really didn't understand it so so how does the Joker fit into all of this he's always there it's the Joker personally my, my own interpretation of the Joker is just that he's always the wild card yeah he's just and, and my and it kind of ties into like I've always had this idea whenever I read a Joker story I feel like the Joker either knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman or could very easily figure it out but just does not care yeah. he has no interest in fighting Bruce Wayne well, they, he they wants to fight Batman in, uh, in Death of the Family Batman at one point is like yeah so I totally went to uh, Joker's Arkham Asylum cell as Bruce Wayne and was all like yo Joker I'm totally Batman. And Joker was like, yeah, I don't, don't give a fuck. Like, didn't even bother, like, to turn and look at him. Yeah. 
Like there, there's definitely so, like a willing ignorance from. Uh, yeah, well, I, I've always seen it as just like Joker. Joker just want, he wants to fight Batman. It, to go and kill Bruce Wayne wouldn't be any fun. But even in that um, the scene where he was just kind of like he really wanted to kill the Joker, like they kind of. Oh man, that's such a good scene. Did I was like, oh my god, Jim Lee's Joker. Be talking no, about no, this? totally okay. talk no, about no, it. Like, it's like, like one of the best <laughs> scenes in the series. Travis over here is just like, oh my god. Like, so good. <laughs> but um, like it, I mean, he just kind of like indulges in like this desire that he's always wanted to actually kill the Joker which is crossing that line that he's always tried to keep from crossing but it's also just like he says it just like the relationship he has with Selena that they've been doing this dance for so long and it's the same with the Joker it's just in two different ways where it's like he can't kill the Joker because he always manages to get out of it and it's just like if he would have killed him such a long time ago he wouldn't be having all these deep rooted problems and emotional scars that like he's been suffering with throughout his entire career yeah we're gonna again we're gonna dive into that a lot more in Red Hood okay I'm sorry no 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 worries like you're bringing up very relevant points I'm just saying that that's something we're gonna dive a lot if anything that's just like a really good teaser for people to no for real so stay tuned guys but that scene though like like for real is one of my favorite scenes from the first Hush book because like the entire time Joker is being 100% completely honest with Batman for maybe like the only time that we I'm honestly innocent. know. Like he's completely innocent. Batman doesn't want to hear it. And what I'm really curious is like what was the conversation between Hush and Joker? Because Joker's not the kind of person who's going to just do what somebody else says all that easy. So Hush had to have been like, yeah, look, Joker, we're going to make the funniest shit happen. We're going to make Batman think that you've killed his best friend. He's going to get all pissed off. You might die. But if you die, that means that Batman will be breaking his one rule, which is the ultimate joke that you've been trying to make him do your entire career. Like, I, yeah, I feel like it's something really similar. I, I feel like I feel like the conversation was literally something would literally be something as simple as like, hey, Joker, you have no idea who I am, but do you want the ultimate way to fuck with Batman? Absolutely. Like, yeah, like, I'm in. I'm in. No way he would pass that out. <laughs> like, absolutely. sure. Assholes, man. I think, um, actually, I, I want to say, like, I think even Tommy Allen in Heart of Hutch said that he didn't want to work with the other Batman villains again because they're so unpredictable, like, especially Joker, yeah, for obvious reasons. So, yeah, I think that with all of these characters, because, like, after, do they know who he is at the end of Hush? Or? I don't know that anyone else knows or really cares. Okay. I think Jonathan Crane knows because he was doesn't, like. Uh, doesn't Hart, doesn't Dent know? Dent might. I know, like, Joker and Clayface and all of them, like, nobody else, like, Killer Croc sure the hell has no clue. <laughs> yeah. You know? there, there's definitely a key few. I don't think Riddler knows, necessarily. Like, Riddler might have seen his face, but I don't think even if Riddler knew his name, it would mean anything to yeah. him. I don't think he would care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this seems like a pretty good place to uh, segue. Alright, uh, anyways, so segment number five slash seven slash <laughs> no one else whatever heard numbers we're on. Five. It's technically continue, five. Continue, 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 continue. I'm sorry. Alright, so we're going to focus on the art from uh, the first Hush book and the second Hush book that we read today. Uh, so Hush and Heart of Hush. Let's just kind of go around and let's just sort of share... Uh, our own thoughts as far as you know which one was your favorite if uh, there was a particular moment or technique that really stood out to you while you were reading because I mean I know I've got a, a lot to say individually but you guys might actually touch on it before we uh, get around so Sean you want to start us off sure uh, so just talking about the initial hush storyline you, you can't beat Jim Lee's artwork 
I mean, Jim Lee is just a master. And to be honest, this is some of his best work from my perspective. His love for drawing boots was on point. I mean, every other panel was someone's boot. boots. Catwoman's <laughs> boots. So he just went nuts with that. And of course, his Joker was just fantastic uh, all throughout. Um, the brief moments we got to see Joker, just great stuff. One sort of criticism, as far as his artwork is concerned, is actually Hush's costume. I think that it's really kind of silly that Hush would even have a, a costume. I mean, he's got like the H's on his chest and different things like that. And I just didn't really feel like that was necessary. Uh, it, it, for me, it kind of takes away the fact that this is like an extremely personal attack. I don't see why you would go through the trouble of creating this costume for yourself. Yeah, it's like he looked around the, the medicine office and was like, all right, well, I've got a whole bunch of bandages. I'll make that into a mask and then well shit I have to go out and buy fabric <laughs> I'm gonna have to sew a bunch of H's into some shit and <sighs> yeah there's actually a part where they're talking about the coat that he wears I can't remember which book that was in that was in Hush right yeah. but they're talking about the coat that he wears and how that's such a generic kind of coat and I really loved that because it's like this is not about the costume this isn't about me being some super villain this is about me just wanting to kill you and I think that the, that the fact that he has a, a design on his costume really takes away from that yeah uh, I think I want to point out like the, the scene we brought up earlier in the previous segment about that one really stood out me in Hush anyway with the, that whole fight scene where Batman is just beating the shit out of the Joker and looks like he's going to cross that line I love the fact that he kind of like pans up and sees like this whole thing took place in like a small little alleyway just the impact of it was all close up it's like it just felt so intense and then you realize it was it, it took like place in a few within a few feet yeah i almost had to double take when i got to that point because you're right like when you see the individual moves and even like from him knocking out harley quinn to him holding up uh catwoman and being like yo don't mess with me in the middle of all this and knocking her out like i would have thought that those two things were on like you know, almost completely different blocks, you know, like if they were in the same alleyway, I assume they were like, you know, yards away from each other. And then you zoom out and it's like, oh, no, Catwoman's crumpled right next to uh, Harley Quinn sitting there. You know, it was definitely an eye opener for me, a very cool uh, twist on the, the typical fight choreography. Getting to see the aftermath of that in such a way was kind of cool. Malia, what about you? What do you think? From an, I don't want to be like from an artist perspective, but like I'm attracted to exaggerations. I love them. Um, the, what was the, the artist's name again? I'm sorry. Jim Lee, because I'm, I'm just not familiar with him. But um, I honestly fell in love, I think, that it enhanced my experience, to be honest, because it's just every scene, you felt more with just the his sense of direction, where he placed the panels, or um, his uh, grasp of perspective. It was all detailed perfectly throughout the book and even like the scenes where uh harley quinn and catwoman were fighting and then how like there were so many acrobatic sequences and then it just fit so well it was just really cool to look at for one and so i really enjoyed that and there were just many moments where you know there were these dramatic scenes where batman was kind of like reminiscing and speaking about his past or all these like really horrible moments he had and then even those scenes were just artwork in itself because it would just probably have him standing alone or he's trapped traveling throughout the city. So I, I was really attracted to his artwork more so than I was. Uh, what was I going to Heart of Hush. Heart of Hush, thank you. But I, so I don't know if I'm just being biased because I am just very attracted to that style, but I just loved it. Even their expressions, um, the violence was, I don't know if this is appropriate, it was modest. Like sometimes um, when it comes to a lot of graphic novels, the violence seems very exaggerated, but it, it, it seemed like it was appropriate to each scene. And I, I really enjoyed it. And it, every page is just so great. And it's like the, did we 
we started bringing up about the the penciled version, which basically uh, you can see like the finesse and the finer details in the work. So I honestly think anybody who like if you can pick up a copy, do so because it's just really amazing just to see how much work uh, the artist puts in just to create each and every page. Um, I agree with a lot of what everybody said, but so I, since I don't want to repeat, kind of. I, I love Jim Lee's artwork in, in Hush. And I'm not even like the biggest fan of him. I, I'm always a believer, if anybody's listened to our podcast before, of I, I don't necessarily think there's one right comic book art style or graphic novel art style. I think the art has to match up with the story told. And I think Jim Lee's artwork for, for that Hush story is just so perfect. Because in a way, I, I've always looked at Hush as it's kind of like it's like if a kid had a bunch of Batman action figures in front of him and just gets to use everybody, you know, uh, from what we talked about all the villains and plus Superman's in it, Robin's in it, Nightwing is in it, Oracle is in it. And just like Jim Lee showing off these outstanding designs of them. And then just beyond that, like this, this whole scope of Batman, like I was talking to Travis before and I know it's kind of like a, uh, it's an off talk about, talked about one, but the two page spread of the Batcave with every Batmobile in that, in that, in that great scene with, with, (laughs) in that great scene with Batman and Nightwing when he says, take the car and which one and just every Batmobile in the animated series and the movie Batmobile. I think that's just such a cool nod to everything Batman is. And Jim Lee just brings this, this grandiose like epicness to it that I think is just part no disrespect to Dustin Yin whose art is his his art is very good but I, I just think that Jim Lee brings this epicness I mean even the Hush character designs kind of became the, the character designs that I think still to this day that they use on like merchandise and stuff is the Jim Lee Batman design and yeah I would I would definitely have to agree I mean I've been hearing a lot about the Jim Lee art in in between these two books uh, more so than the uh, Dustin Nguyen and I think there's a reason for that I mean Jim Lee obviously you know for a while there DC was mandating that for the new 52 all their artists imitated the Jim Lee style you know and there's a reason for that it's a very appealing style it's very realistic and Dustin Nguyen on the other hand has a style that much like Paul Diney is very very reminiscent of the animated series and not to say that the way the character that Jeff Loeb handled in Hush weren't also reminiscent of the animated series, but whereas Jeff Loeb's writing was very fitting to those characters, I feel like Dustin Nguyen's uh, style of illustration was very fitting to that uh, animated series. However, I feel like Jim Lee put a, a little bit more experimentation into the artwork for Hush than I saw from Dustin Nguyen in Heart of Hush. You know, from you know things like uh, Malia was talking about with the the acrobatics of Harley Quinn and Catwoman as they're jumping across entire scenes, and you're seeing six, seven, eight different pieces of motion in like a stop motion kind of thing going throughout one individual panel. You know that that's a technique that you simply do not see very often in comic books, and it's one that was so effective to see this complicated maneuver that you you wouldn't necessarily get from seeing the same exact maneuver performed across two or three different panels or you know if you were even going to bother wasting the space for the two or three panels to show that movement so things like that were really good and i also loved that there were you know, and, and I'm not 100% sure which materials were being used. I don't know if this was created digitally. I don't know if this was all done by hand. But there were, you know, very different looking 
uh, pieces of art, depending on the time period that events were happening in throughout the book. You know, it, when we were in the flashbacks of Hush, we had a very uh, watercolor looking sort of thing that was done in black and white. And you knew that this was definitely not happening in the present. It has this wispiness of the past. It's got that old black and white, like I'm looking at an old photograph kind of thing, seeing these memories of Bruce's childhood being played out. Whereas the present, we've got full color. It's completely all fleshed out. We know this is happening right now. And then at one moment, he even flashes to a possible future of him cradling a potentially dead Catwoman, and he's saying, you know, this one day might happen. And what's great to me about that particular page is that this is a full page that is done as if it's a doodle. You you can see the, the ballpoint pen that was used to sketch this picture out. And just like, you know, it, it's like a, a doodle that you would put into your notebook. This is the dream of something that might one day be. This isn't a fully fleshed out idea, but this is a possibility. This is something that could one day happen. And I think for me, that's why between the two, I preferred Hush more so than Heart of Hush artistically, at least, because there was this sort of experimentation. There was this idea that, you know, Jim Lee is comfortable as an artist. Artist. He is respected as an artist, and he's not only trying to make something that is accepted, but he's trying to push the borders of what is accepted and try new things to accomplish completely uh, a new uh, tasks that hasn't necessarily been attempted in the comic book medium before, at least from an artist. All right, you've reached the end of another Comicsverse podcast. Hope you enjoyed the ride. Uh, reminder that you can find us on the web at comicsverse.com, Facebook at facebook.com slash comicsverse, Twitter at at comicsverse, Tumblr at comicsverse.tumblr.com, uh, Instagram at at comicsverse, and also YouTube at youtube.com slash comicsverse TV. Wow, that's a mouthful. Anyway, you can also find our podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio. We're on Roku TV. We're on a whole lot of different forms of social media and things. If you look up Comicsverse, I'm pretty sure you'll find us. But I just wanted to say uh, thank you. Let's uh, have everyone uh, you know, say a, a couple final words. Sean, go ahead. Thanks for having me. It's been a really fun ride. And uh, I think that we collectively made made Hush sound a lot better as a character than he actually has been portrayed. Yeah, I agree with Sean. I think that we... I'm surprised at how much we actually got to say about this character. And they really glad I got to be here. And uh, thanks for having me. Um, um, I was really excited. A little bit nervous, but um, I feel like we all are very passionate and we agreed on a lot of terms about some of these characters, especially Mr. Tommy Angry Pants. I had a great time. had a great time with all you guys and all you kids listening. Remember, if you're eight years old and you want to kill your parents, don't. <laughs>